0: And in case you did not know, um, since you guys don't have school tomorrow, we are all going to try to hang out as a group at Sarah Newell's house. So go ahead. This is the only reason you're going to text right now is to let your parents know, hey, can I go to this thing with the youth group at Sarah Newell's house? Love to have you hang out because you don't have school tomorrow, right? Which means that you can stay up late and sleep in, right? That was like an hour ago, by the way. It's just right after to whenever you feel like, I think, maybe 11. Or, yeah, that'll be food. 11 in the morning. 11 in the morning. Hey, um, Matthew chapter 5, please open your Bibles there. <coughs> um, a quick story. Two summers ago, my wife and I, we lived in a four-bedroom house, which is kind of ridiculous because it was just me and her. But at the time, we had no kids, and so we're like, well, this house is really big, um, but it was given to us to live in by our church at the time, and it's like probably twice the size of the house we live in now, even, and it was like every room was like empty, like literally like people were like, oh, give me a tour of your place, I'm like, okay, and so we open the door, and there's like three books on the ground, It's like, yeah, I think I did some studying here one time on the floor, and then we take them down to our basement, because every house in the Midwest has basements, and it was just like huge gray living area with, like, a stool in the corner and a broom and a bunch of cobwebs. But we started getting more visitors and, like, well, I feel bad that people keep having to sleep on air mattresses or the the couch. So we did what every young couple does. We went to Ikea, okay? That place will test your marriage, I promise you. If you want to know if you have a good marriage relationship, go to Ikea. Um, We came out on top, though, so came out on top. And we buy a platform bed, right? We buy just a basic, uh, not painted, like $99 special platform bed. And we had a mattress that we had wrapped up in the garage, get that down. And so Amy's probably, I don't know, say six, seven months pregnant with the twins in the middle of the summer, and I'm cheap so the AC is not on. And so we're just sweating bullets and we're, we're we're putting this platform bed together, right? And if you know Ikea, they don't have words to their instruction manuals. It's just, all you need is an Allen wrench and these pictures of people doing the steps. And so we're, we're doing it, I'm like, I got this, I got, I got my Allen wrench, Amy's sitting there. We probably started at around eight o'clock, okay? And so we're getting mostly done. And I'm just looking at it, I'm like, I don't, call me crazy, but it looks like all the boards are slanting in. She's like, no, they definitely are, you're not crazy. So we're taking it apart. So now it's 11 o'clock. She's like, I'm done with this. And I am scratching my head looking at this instruction manual, like this part says go here, and that goes there. 1230. Amy's in bed. I'm like, I'm not going to bed, I'm figuring this out. And I get to one step where I think is the issue. I have to keep unscrewing things, screwing it back in, unscrewing it, trying to delete certain things. And I'm like, I think that the instructions are wrong. I think what it means to say, and it was kind of like, it was flip-flopped, and so I, it kind of meant to put it on the other side of, like, I don't know, whatever this, the board was on the bed. And so I'd unscrew it, and then it was perfect. And we put the bed in, and she woke up the next morning, and it was done. But it took, like, five hours to put this together. So those instruction manual, although it was mostly helpful, mostly true, mostly right, had good intentions, but not completely accurate. It was wrong in some, in some places. Like, no, that, that's not right. The bed's going to be slanting and it's going to break the boards. And there's a question I want to raise tonight as we think about this passage in Sermon on the Mount. Is the Bible ever like those Ikea instructions? Mostly good, has good intentions, for the most part always right, yet sometimes not always accurate. Not completely true. Do we have to affirm that every small word and every sentence, every paragraph, every book of the Bible is without error, cannot be broken, infallible? Is, is the whole Bible exactly 100% true? Or is it like the instruction manuals where 99% of the time it's right, but you know, everything... Now, are you really sure that Jesus did all those miracles? Are you really sure that all that history in Israel is completely accurate? Sometimes people put it in a unique way. You know, they like talk about, "Oh, the Bible says this number." Or how about creation? There's no way you can say the Bible was made, the the earth was made in six days. And by the way, if you don't believe that, that's okay, right? I want you guys to know, if you don't believe the Bible, the earth was made in six literal days. That is okay. (laughs) But that's the question, I think, that maybe Jesus' listeners were struggling with when Jesus is talking about this section. And so I guess before I want to tell you what I think or even what you want to think, let's see what Jesus says about this question. In Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Do not think that I had come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called Least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount is talking about one thing primarily. Discipleship. Jesus is trying to talk to us about what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it look like to be a Christian? The whole sermon is getting at that one big thing. As for those who are going to be part of Jesus' kingdom, who say, what does it really mean for the kingdom of God to rule in your life? The Sermon on the Mount answers that. So we talked about a few weeks that, that those who live for God, those who are Christians, those who are disciples of Jesus... That their character is on line with the Beatitudes, right? That they're pure in heart. That they're poor in spirit. That they're meek. That they hunger and thirst for righteousness. That they desire good things to happen in this world. Last week we talked about in this kingdom that we live for God, that we are supposed to be <coughs> salt. That we are supposed to help stop the decay of this world. So Jesus is talking about discipleship. And so what's unique so far in this sermon is not what Jesus has said. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this sermon back in, you know, sitting on this mountainside. Like, yeah, you know, a lot of that makes sense. You know, the Beatitudes, I'm sure there's things in the Old Testament that, yeah, I see where he's getting that a little bit. Yeah, maybe we should be the salt, absolutely. But what's more alarming is what Jesus hasn't said. For any rabbi at the time or any teacher who gets up to talk and they want to talk about discipleship, what it really means to be part of God's kingdom what it looks like to be a Christian or to love God, the first thing that they would do always was to talk from the Torah. What does the, the Torah, what does it mean to walk in the ways of God? But what's fascinating is Jesus doesn't do that. And matter of fact, he doesn't really make it about that. In verse uh, 11, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So Jesus makes the whole sermon about him. Like, whoa, dude, Jesus, you're saying like, all of this discipleship stuff, this is all about you? Absolutely. Jesus is being completely different in the fact that He's saying, I am not just going to sit here and rehash what you're used to, rehash some of the Old Testament. I'm talking about what does it mean now to be my disciple. And it's about me. But we come to this section, and and after this section, we'll get like the main body of the sermon. What does He say? He gives gives the character. He gives the... We're preservatives. But do not think... For one second. Don't even let it cross your mind. And that's where Jesus starts this section. Do not think that the Old Testament... So when he uses that word, the law and the prophets, right? That is a way of summarizing the whole Old Testament. So Jesus even summarizes the whole Old Testament in other passages in Mark, where he says, The message of the law and the prophets is this, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm talking about discipleship. What does it mean to really follow God, to love God? Let me tell you this briefly. There are a lot of opinions, there are a lot of thoughts about what does it really mean to be a Christian, right? That doesn't take much to, to know that because you can go out and you'll meet a lot of people who say they're religious, that they believe in God, that they believe in Jesus. Yet it's like, oh, I don't go to church. Well, I don't read my Bible. Well, I, I think it's okay to have abortions and to be homosexual. It's like, well, that's not what the Bible says, right? And so Jesus wants to be very clear. At the very end of Matthew 28, before Jesus goes into heaven and he's telling us that I'll be back, he gives them this one last great commission. He says, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. That's what he's telling his you know, like Matthew and John, James and John and Peter and Thomas and all these guys sitting there, go and make disciples. Teach them what it means to be my disciple. Teach them to be obedient. And Jesus wants you guys to know something, that that discipleship, being obedient to Jesus, it looks a certain way. We don't have to be confused about what does it really mean to live for Jesus in this day and age? Because he tells us it right here. This is one of the harder passages in the New Testament to interpret. There's so much ink, I would say, spilled over like the ceremonial law and all these sacrifices in the old testament. what does Jesus really mean here? And I'm gonna do my best to simply go over what Jesus is saying and then maybe spend a few minutes of how this <laughs> can apply to us. But there's two main, I think, things we can take away from this. Looking at Jesus' view of the Bible, and then looking at our view of the Bible, right? So Jesus' view of the Bible. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, it's interesting that he says that I have not come to abolish, right? When we think of abolish, what do we think? Huh? Okay, abolish to get rid of, right? Something like that. So Jesus is saying, listen, I have not come here in regards to the Old Testament, all like Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all the Psalms and, you know what, Carl's going through a big church, Pastor Carl, Jeremiah, all that stuff, I have not come to abolish that. But the big question that, that kind of makes me ponder a little bit, and I hope maybe the same thing for you, it's like, well, Jesus, that's really interesting that you say that because, like, in church this morning, we weren't sacrificing goats and sheep and pigeons, and we don't do a lot of that Old Testament stuff, you know, and um, all that stuff in Leviticus. Like, who here's even read the Book of Leviticus, honestly? Right? And it's like, you say you've never, like, you're not, you didn't come to abolish any of this stuff but I don't see us Christians following the ceremonial laws or practicing all those festivals that the Jews had. So the question is, Jesus, what, what did you really mean? And so the question that people kind of get stuck on is like the that fact that Jesus has not come to abolish, but rather, what does it say? I have come to fulfill for them. And that's the answer right there. This idea of fulfillment, I wish I had time. I mean, it's something that's just very fascinating, maybe just for me. But that word is used 15 different times in the Gospel of Matthew. The word fulfillment, that Jesus has come and he is fulfilled. And a lot of times when we think of that word fulfillment as Christians, we think, okay, there were prophecies in the Old Testament such that, like Jesus was supposed to be born in in, uh, Bethlehem, right? And Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. And that's a way of looking at fulfillment. But fulfillment is also understanding that Jesus has brought to completion everything that the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament, has been talking about. Jesus finally brings the culmination of everything of the Old Testament. So Jesus is not in any way trying to say, hey, none of that stuff, it doesn't really matter, it's not that important, just read your New Testament and you'll be fine. And I get a little confused sometimes when the Gideons pass out just what? The New Testament. Jesus says, no, not for a second would I ever say any of that stuff is not important. I have not come to abolish it. I'm not going to I'm not gonna relax on that. I'm not going to put it aside or think it's secondary or think that it's not important. But the best way I could try to illustrate this to, to make us understand is when I was younger, my mom would have us watch The Wizard of Oz quite a bit. I really liked it, as she t- tells me. I don't believe her quite, but when you were a kid, you loved The Wizard of Oz. okay. Maybe you just put it on every day and you thought I liked it. Who here has seen The Wizard of Oz, like the original, kind of, like back in the day? So it starts off as what? Black and white. Black and white. See, personally right here, I hate <coughs> black and white movies. My, my parents would periodically in high school sit us down and they would force us to watch a black and white movie. One movie I actually liked in black and white is called Sergeant York. It was a war movie. About, yeah, uh-huh. i will get a nod back there. That movie was actually Okay. I was surprised, but I just don't get it, and they like a lot of times it's like these like these costumes they have on and the acting is just okay, and it's just like uh I don't get it. But back, anyways, back to Wizard of Oz, right? You have it black and white when she's in Kansas. And she comes to Oz and it turns to color. See, it's the same story, it's just more vivid. It has more life. It has more, and even it takes a. It's more enjoyable, and the same thing with the Old Testament. When Jesus comes to fulfill, and yeah, we don't do a lot of those Old Testament sacrifices, and we don't follow, you know, the festivals of the Jews. But Jesus is saying, "I've come to bring in completion." It's the same exact story that I'm bringing you. Now it's just in color. It's better. It makes more sense, there's more details. Oh, you see the color of the trees back there? Like everything is a lot more crisp and vivid. And because of that, Jesus says in verse 19, excuse me, verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, nine iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And Jesus says this, I will promise you this, before earth itself, before the whole cosmos, before the earth, the stars fall out of the sky, you will see that happen before you ever see any part of God's word come undone. <coughs> there are 66,000 yodes in the Bible, in the, in the Hebrew Old Bible. The yod is the smallest part The smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's literally so small. So, let me see this really quick. Hold this really quick. If you look down. So, do you see uh, questions for further study, right? Go to question one, right? The first word there is what? It's what? <laughs> funny, right? <laughs> Pun intended. Um, so, the first word, it says what? So look at the H, right? The H, right there. Boom. Go like three words over, or two words over, and you get the word general. Okay? Now, look at the N. Okay? So, now compare the H and the N. What's the difference? Just, just a tiny little mark right there, right? In essence, that's what Jesus is saying as as far as like, you know, I attempted to put up like Hebrew slides up there to show you the difference and, you know, maybe some Aramaic, what Jesus was actually probably speaking. But that is in essence like the smallest part that makes it different. The small part of the H. Not even that. I'm not here to, to get rid of the Old Testament or anything. And what we see here is that Jesus had such a high view of Scripture. Such a high view of Scripture. You will never see these words come undone. And sometimes, when we approach Scripture, we don't take it seriously at all. And we don't take it seriously by, one, not doing what it says... Two, we, we come with an attitude to the Bible like it's supposed to help me do something. Like I need my daily pickup, like my coffee pill, and it's going to help me have a, a good day. Or we come to the Bible just not really caring, not really putting in good effort to work at, and we kind of just think, oh, you know, today was kind of a dud. I didn't get anything out of my, my Bible study. Jesus is saying, listen. I am the fulfillment. I am what everything in Scripture is pointing towards. To lax on this is to lax on me. To not care about the Bible is to not care about Jesus. What does it look like to be a Christian disciple? It means to have a high view of this. Of the Old Testament. Has anyone read the book of Numbers? That is a lofty thing of what he's saying after I read the book of Numbers. I had to read the whole Old Testament in a month one time for school. And I'm in the middle of the Psalms and I'm like, this is... God, I feel guilty for saying this, but this is torture. And how how I look at that attitude now and I say, I wish I can go back and treat God's word with a sense of dignity that Jesus had such a high view of Scripture. Jesus is trying to say this. Listen, if you are going to be my disciple, the disciple that is living out the Beatitudes, the disciple who is the salt and the light of the earth, you will never approach Scripture lightly. You will never go around making... Well, you know, I know the Bible says that, but, I mean... I just don't really like what it's saying. A you know, quote uh, by Tim Keller that I just read on Twitter today. Right? Yeah. No, she says no. When we start pulling out parts of the Bible that we like and that we, that we don't like, we eventually make up a God of our own. And when we take out parts of Scripture that we don't like, well, that part doesn't, doesn't really sound that good, or that part is kind of confusing, so I'm not going to listen to that, or this doesn't really help me anyway, I'm going to throw that out. we create a God for ourselves, and it's a God who can never keep us accountable. Briefly, turn in your Bibles to Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three. Keep your finger on Matthew five, but turn to Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three. Jesus is denouncing the scribes and the Pharisees. He's denouncing the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says this in Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three. He says, "Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites!" You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus is trying to tell him, like, listen, you Pharisees, you scribes, you, know, you give a tenth and you, and you count it out loud and you tell everyone about it, but the more important things of the law, like doing what is right and being just and having mercy on people and faithfulness, you don't do those at all. And it's funny, when I, when I read this, how many of you have heard once in your life that every sin is the same in God's eyes? Right? Every, every sin is the same in God's eyes. Well, biblically, that's not true. Every sin in one sense makes us culpable before God, yes, but every sin, you know, if you even think about just the Old Testament laws, there were different punishments on the degree of the sin. There are some things that are more important to do than others. Jesus says it right there. Tithing is, is something that's important, but being, having mercy and justice and being faithful are more heavier matters. They, they hold more weight. But Jesus is saying, not even the smallest commandment can you go easy on. Well, hey, I, I do a lot of great things. I make sure that I, I'm being as obedient as I possibly can. But, you know, that's one small area in my life I'm maybe not as good at. Jesus says, no, not the smallest commandment can you ease up on. If you read through the New Testament, I mean, I just, if you go from like the aeons, like, the aeons like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, if you just go through those books, there is command after command after command after command where Paul is trying to tell us what does it look like to be in Christ? What does it mean to have this relationship with Jesus now? And we just read over these things like, no big deal. Avoid godless chatter. Love one another. Be pure. Be sanctified. Put to death your sin. Think of your heavenly dwelling. Think of Christ above all else. And we lax. We we go easy on God's commandments. It is not cool... To border on disobedience. It's not cool to go around and say to people. You know, I know the Bible says that, but oh well. You know, the Bible. I was just thinking. I was listening to the radio. I got to be in the car a lot yesterday, driving to Seattle and driving back, and I was literally just scanning through the radio stations like this. I had a pen in my hand actually, and Amy's like, "I would really appreciate if, in the <laughs> next half hour, I can listen to one full song." And here's what I notice. I can almost every song on the radio disagrees with the Bible. Disagrees with the Bible. The radio has very bad theology, I hope you know that. How do I take God's commandments seriously? Why listen to that crap? How do I take God's commandments and teach them to one another? But not just saying, you know, there's some things that are more important. You know, maybe we just have to be nice to people and we have to make sure that we're just being pleasant with everyone. But, you know, all this really strict stuff. I mean, if, it's, if, it, if it works for you, that's cool. And so the point I really I think I want to drive home with you guys is that if you want to be a kingdom Christian, if you want to be a Christian who God is pleased with, a, a Christian that is true to what the Bible says, You need to understand that the Bible, that these words are your lifeline. That if you're not reading your Bible, if you don't give a rip about your Bible, if you even kind of think like, ah, who cares, no big deal. Jesus says, no, that is not what a disciple looks like. And in fact, what does he say? You're not cool. You're the least of these. To care little about the Bible is to care little about Jesus. A high view of these words right here, a high authority of this, will always lead to a high view of God. A view of God that is right, that is healthy, that leads to a wonderful and intimate relationship with Him. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There are 248 commandments in the Old Testament scriptures. There's 365 prohibitions. Pharisees and scribes are probably known for keeping 99% of those. 248 of them. They could probably recite all of them alphabetically to you. 365 prohibitions. They knew every single one of them. And not only that, what Pharisees and scribes did, here's, here's the line, here's sin, and what they do, they create rules in front of their rules, and they keep all of those too. So imagine for a second, Jesus saying, I want your righteousness, my disciples, you have to have a righteousness that far exceeds someone who can keep 248 commands and 365 prohibitions. If you if you measured your just external obedience to the to the Pharisees, to the scribes, like you wouldn't even hit the radar. And that's being nice. Like these people, man, they talk about their external obedience, it was there. Jesus, my disciple, guess what? You have to be greater than that. they think, oh, well, Aaron, how do I do that? It's impossible. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes were were known for only caring about their external life before men. You know, I think of sometimes when parents drag their kids to church, or they make them go to youth group. Someone, there are probably people here who someone made you come. That's okay, for now. But do you know what Jesus is really looking for here? He's looking for someone who says, "I really, Jesus, I want to cherish you." Jesus wants a heart that doesn't care about what people think. He wants a heart that says, I want to be obedient to Jesus in all that I do. I want my heart before him just to be right. I want God to know who I am. That I just want to live for him. That, you know, sometimes I'm going to fail in my obedience. But ultimately... I want to take God's words as seriously as I possibly can. I want to live them out. I want to be as perfectly obedient to Jesus as possible. Jesus is looking for a righteousness that doesn't come from the outside, but it is an inwardness. I had a lot of friends whose parents made them go to church, made them go to the summer camps. And, you know, it turned out, like, you know, we're there, you know, sitting there going through the motions. But eventually, somehow, through the listening of God's word, seeing other Christians, by understanding what these words actually meant, it turned into righteousness that was desired. Two quick things here. When it comes to our Bible, we set nothing aside about Jesus. When we read the book of Leviticus and we read all those weird commands when it tells us that we shouldn't sleep with our family members, we think, like, why does that really need to be in the Bible? Everything that Jesus is saying is that, that everything, all those weird commands, it is important, it points to me, I'm the fulfillment of that. And we need to read the Bible We trying to understand where does Jesus become the fulfillment of this? Where do I see the themes of redemption and my salvation in the Old Testament? But the big thing is, and, and I think maybe the desire I have for this group right here, for you guys sitting in these chairs, you know, there's a lot of groups out there, a lot of these churches, churches and, you know, they can have the Xboxes and the nice comfy couches and they can do a lot of fun events and they can have big church budgets, and all of that is extremely well and it's good and it's awesome. But my goal... My, my, my desire for all of you is that we be a group that cares about the words of Christ, that cares about this book being open and being taught, that we do not for one second ever take God's word lightly. Both these words and Jesus are called the Word. The Word. If you want to know Jesus in your life, you need to run to these words right here. Obviously, the Bible did not go on the cross for your sins. But this is how God wants us to know Him. Through this book. <coughs> so help us not to be like the Pharisees that said, you know, I'm just going to do this external, outward obedience. Help us not to be like the people of the day who just recited Scripture just off of memory. Let us be people who take these words seriously and who actually do them. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to look at um, this passage of Scripture. God, I pray that we would have a high view of your word. Jesus, help us to love you more and help us to understand that if we want to know Jesus, we need to know your word. God, we thank you for the freedom to be in this room, to talk about what it means to be a disciple, the freedom to sing songs to you. And God, we pray that you would help us to take advantage of these next two days we have at school. God, maybe a step in the right direction is to tomorrow morning open our Bibles and to take it seriously, to dig deep into it and to find out the treasures in your word. Jesus, thank you for your grace, for dying on the cross for our sins. And it's in your wonderful and precious name we pray. Amen. <laughs>